Well, I'm going to begin today a new series and hold yourself, goodness me, God, money and me. Don't mention the word money. Um, but you know what? I'm excited about this because I, I, I haven't done a series around stewardship and finances for about six years. And, um, and I'm not doing it because we've got an expansion offering either. It's just the way it fell because I know some of you will think that. And I said, did you do this series? Because I'm like, no, you know. But, um, but I, I tell you what, God put in my heart a few weeks back, um, if we could only see what he sees for our lives, we would just be completely different. If we could only see what he's already given to us, we would live completely different. And uh, that thought has just been going on and around my heart. You know, the, the Ephesians talks about, you know, that if we would know the hope that we are called into. And, uh, and I just kind of help, I can't help but think that God just wants to open up our eyes more and more and more to the, uh, the, the richness of what we have in Him and what God wants to do in this season all around the world. Uh, you know, there's a shaking, there's a sifting, there's a sorting out of the church. And uh, you better believe it, it, there is. It's all happening all around. And the reason is, is because God's getting ready to, you know, return in such a powerful way. But before he returns, there's going to be such a demonstration of the power and the glory of God. You know, that we're going to, be, we're going to understand uh, the kingdom of God in such new and dynamic ways. You know, the, the stories that we read in the Bible are going to be everyday encounters for a church who's hungry for God. Amen? And um, so to begin this, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua this morning. And uh, I was thinking about, again, this verse as we, as we start. Today's just a bit of a foundation over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I can tell you this right now, and um, I know not all of you know me, but I'm not about strong-arming anybody into, an, into, a, into a position. We've never done that, and we never will. And the reality is, is this, is that God um, just wants us to see what he's already given to us and to become um, firm in our, our understanding and our belief. Joshua chapter 1, verses um, 1 through to 8 says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and said to him, Moses, my servant is dead. Everyone say dead. Therefore, the time has come. The time has come. Everyone say the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. For I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land that I've given them. From Neve in the wilderness to the south, to Lebanon mountains in the north, to the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one, everyone say no one. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail you or abandon you. Such great words, powerful words of affirmation, of uh, direction, of instruction. And God is speaking to Joshua about this next phase, this next season. And he says, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all of the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. For be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. 
for then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of the instruction of the law continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. There's not one of us in this place that don't want to succeed and prosper in everything that we do. But I ask the question is that do we meditate in the Word of God day and night? Do we deviate from it? Do we look to the left or to the right and be distracted with all of the world that's around us? And um, if you're like me, I get distracted. And if you're like me, I probably are not perfect in all things. Um, almost. No, okay. Honesty from the front row. Lots of improvement to do. But I tell you this. In our hearts, there's not one of us here that don't want to walk in the land that God has promised us. There's not one of us here that don't want to receive all that God has planned for us. Amen. And so we see this story uh, in, uh, in the book of Joshua. It was a time of transition, borders, boundaries, territories, and lands. It was time for the people to walk in the promise that God had promised them. And Moses had come to the end of his life and Joshua, his assistant, was anointed to take the people in. And God was affirming Joshua that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And so make sure to do everything, everything that is written. Seeing God's kingdom established in our lives is God's heart. And he wants us to walk in the land. He wants us to walk into the promises that he has promised us all. Whether that be freedom, whether that be peace, whether that be healing, whether that be prosperity, whether that be sanity of mind, whatever those things are, all of the promises of God are towards us. And as I said to you before, if we could only see how much God loves us and how much God has laid out that path for us, our approach or our posture would probably be completely different to where we are right now. You know, when I, when I read and, and hear those testimonies of A.A. Allen and some of the revivalists and the people that God has anointed over the, the years, John Wimber, you know, another name that's coming out, Randy Clark, the Bill Johnsons, all of these things, all of these people, you know, they, they, have, they have postured their heart in a way to go after God. And not for the benefits of God, but for the, the presence of God. And all throughout their lives, we hear about this story of them, you know, just going after the word of God and, and seeking to see those things manifest in and around their life. I want to make one thing very clearly that we're not living or fighting for victory, but we're learning to live from a position of victory. And that's a really big deal. Because if we if we don't get that mindset right when it comes to all things in our life, we're always trying to earn or strive in our faith for God. We're never quite good enough. That's the reasons why we don't see what we do. But Jesus completed it all. Amen. And so we live from that place. Here's there was a transition in this moment for the people of Israel. What God did for you was a time with Moses. But what God will do through you was a time of Joshua. And that's a big difference because, you know, in Moses, there was the pillar, the cloud in the day and the fire by night. There was manna from heaven. There was water from the rock. And God just provided for them for 40 years. Their clothes never worn out. 
it was just like complete provision of God. But there came a time where God said, now it's time for you guys to cross the land and inherit the promises that I've put before you. And be strong, be courageous. Do not deviate from what I've told you because I'm going to be with you. Nothing, no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. But do what I've told you to do, right? There was a difference. And right from the very beginning, there was a different sense of living. What God did through Christ was God's gift to us. When God sent the Holy Spirit was Christ's promise to us and in us. Amen. And what we allow the Holy Spirit to do in us, God's promise is to manifest His presence in every single one of us and to help us to live an empowered life through Him. Amen. So as we go into this series, yes, there's going to be a focus around stewardship. And it's not just about money. And I really want to emphasize that today. But let me tell you this, that God wants to empower us in all of our lives. And money is a part of it. Okay, so we're going to look at a life of stewardship, learning how to be content, breaking the spirit of mammon, and living a life of generosity. A few years ago, Anna and I did a course, Crown Financial, that helped us unpack and remind us how God sees money. And money matters. Everyone say money matters. Because the Bible says wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And just as it was with Jesus in his day, money was central to the people's minds. In actual fact, 500 scriptures on faith, 500 scriptures regarding prayer, And there's over 2,350 verses dealing with money and possessions throughout the Bible. How many know that money matters? And it matters to us all. And we're not true if we don't say it doesn't matter. We live in a world that's controlled by money and the spirit of money. And we are in a kingdom that's controlled by the spirit of God. And God wants us to understand what that is. Amen. So, Father, as we come into this series, I pray today, Lord, that there would just be just, Lord, you'd open up our eyes. Lord, you'd open up our hearts. And, Father, you would cause us just to think about the life that you've called us to live. Father, we thank you that our currency is faith. Our currency, the currency of heaven is faith to trust, to believe, to posture ourselves, to declare, Lord, to be a people who live by your word and allow your word to be lived through us. And so, God, today I pray you'd anoint this series in a particular way in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Understanding the life of stewardship. Here we go. Number one, the first thing I want you to do is to understand this, is the principle of ownership. Stewardship in our lives is not about budgets and building programs. It's about building a biblical framework that God gives us where our faith and our work and our finances intersect. It's important for us to understand these four principles because they intersect about every area of our life. And God wants us to finish and enter, and possess, and take the land, to be able to live out all that God has called us to do. And the principle number one we're going to look at is the principle of ownership. Psalm 24.1 says this, For the earth 
is the Lord's and everything in it. Everyone say everything. 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 The world and all who live in it. And it's really a great place to begin to understand. You know, we sang, all things come from you, all things go to you. You know, we sang that, Lord, you deserve the glory. Like we sing it, but that's the reality is that God owns it all. He's the creator. He is the almighty one. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through to 12. This is a great one. It says, everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. This is your kingdom. For we adore you as being in control of everything. Wow, if we could just get our head around that bit. How many here love control? Uh, me too. I'm afraid. It says, riches and honor come from you alone, and you are the ruler of all mankind. For your hand controls power and might, and it's at your discretion that men are made great and are given strength. It's a wonderful, wonderful scripture for us to recognize and to understand that, again, you know, if we're in control, that means that he isn't. And our life is about our understanding that God has created us for such a time as this. That you and I have been born in this hour, in this generation, in this location. And God is calling us to live out a life of God in this season. And so if you look at the timeline of God, we're going to see some of the greatest revivals. We're going to be some of the greatest miracles. We're going to see some of the greatest shifts that the church has ever seen. And you and I live in this time. And so if we understand that, where you go, God, you know, you're in control of everything. This is, you, you are, um, you know, you are the author of all of these things. And so God, what is it right now that you're setting up in my world and the understanding of what this framework is? God is in control. He owns everything in the heavens and on earth. So if he is God, means that we're not. He owns everything. We don't. Riches and honor come from him alone, not us. He is the ruler of mankind. We are not. His hand controls power and might. And it's at his discretion that men are made great and are given strength. How many know we do well to understand that? Make God big. The second thing is keep God big. Make him big. If God isn't big in your world, make him big. But if he is already big, make him bigger and keep him big. You know, it doesn't matter what happens, he's in control. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world, in your life, in your circumstances, right now, physically, in your body, in your circumstances, financially, in your life, relationally. It doesn't matter what's going on, God's in it. Amen? And so when we look and we understand that he sets this framework up, then we can rest assured that we don't have to be in control because God already is. Amen? John Piper says this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I think that's the challenge for you and I is that sometimes we get dissatisfied. We get, we get uh, complacent or we get distracted or we, we get our priorities around the wrong area. But when God is the biggest thing, then everything else falls into place. Amen? So therefore, stewardship expresses our obedience and this is the thing regarding those things that God has put in our hands to control. We understand in Genesis that God created us 
and he put us in the midst of the garden to work, to take care of it. And it was clear that man was created to work from the very beginning, and that work is stewardship. Jesus, or God, gave mankind the decree to go into the world to populate, to be fruitful, to subdue it, and to be able to, be, uh, to multiply it. Right at the very beginning, God gave us the ability with what he created to uh, live a life that was to be flourishing. And, and mankind messed that up. So when we look at all of life, our life, our resources, our talents, our families, our material possessions, all of these things come under the banner of what stewardship is all about. Deuteronomy 8, 17. This is a great chapter. You might want to read this. And as the people of God, as we read in the past, sometimes forget, but on one hand, they can say, hey, my power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. It's always been at the core of man's heart to be selfish and to be reliant on self and to be self-exalting. Uh, and God, in the very next breath in Deuteronomy, says this, that we should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Amen. Here's that framework again that God comes back and, and he wants us to remind that all of life is about stewardship. That God is in the midst of it all. But you see, whether we acknowledge him, whether we just we work with him in those things, it's a choice of our hearts. Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. And we adore you as being in control of everything. Stewardship managers. Doesn't mean we're there merely to preserve things. No, God has put the ability in us to produce things. God has put the abilities in us to create those things. And so when we acknowledge God as the one that's in control and we live in position and posture of that, then we begin to understand what stewardship is all about. Number two is the, the principle of responsibility. Bill Peel writes this, Although God gave us all things to richly enjoy, nothing is ours. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. And we're responsible for how we treat it and what we do with it. All right? What's happening right now? We've got a climate emergency. Okay? Now, I don't want to go into that, but I want to raise this. Is that how many know that God's given us the earth to steward well? And so if we don't do well with it, we reap the consequences of that. So I agree that there's a good thing that we can do without being crazy. But again, it's that whole thing of stewardship. You know, we came onto this property and we've been great stewards. The last property we were in, we were great stewards. We took it, we picked it up, we put love on it, we put investment into it. We actually made something more of what it was. Amen. So the reality is this, is that whatever you and I put our hands towards, God is in us working through us. But everything is about stewardship. God gives you the gift of a child. And how many know this, that that child's going to grow up one day and represent, hopefully, a good human being, reflective of their parents? But the reality is, is that it's about stewardship. It came from God. It will go back to God. And we get the opportunity to make something beautiful of what that little life represents. How many know we live in a broken world where that has been so crazily messed up? 
where people haven't stewarded their kids, where kids get abused, where kids get trafficked, where kids get the wrong environment from the very beginning. And is there any wonder why we've got such rampant destruction in our society? All right? Stewardship is because we've got to look after what we've been given. Number two, the principle of responsibility. Owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, who you are and whose you are is so incredibly important. And, you know, we can look at our own lives and we can look at ourselves in the mirror and go, look what I've made me to be. And we can forget the one person who created you and gave you this amazing opportunity. And so when we understand that all of life is about stewardship, the principle of responsibility is this, that God has created us for a reason and a purpose. We are called as God's stewards, made in the image of God to be able to manage what God has given to us. And while God has graciously entrusted us with care, development, and enjoyment of everything he owns, as his stewards, we are responsible to manage his holdings well according to his desires and purposes. Amen? And it's a really important thing. This is a great statement. You want to write this one down. Our beliefs determine where we spend our eternity, but our behaviors will determine how we spend eternity. That's a really big deal. And if that's a take-home that you can take home today, that's a great one. Because the reality is this, is our beliefs will determine whether or not we believe in Christ and get to spend eternity in all of heaven. Or if we not believe in Christ, we'll determine our eternity and, and, and spend it in hell. But here's this, our behaviors, what we do with what we've been given will determine how we spend all of eternity. That's a real sobering thought. Amen? Because the fact is, is this, our life is described in the Bible as like a little blade of grass that comes up in the morning and fades in the afternoon. That's what our life here on earth is. And we get so much stress, we get so much pressure, we get all this performance stuff. We try and live it all out to make it all so wonderful here on earth. And we forget that our life is actually measured in eternity. And what we do here determines what we will do there. Amen? So as we pray, as we fast, as we give, Matthew 6. The third thing is this, is the principle of accountability. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another. And so when we think about our life, you know, and here's, here's why I say this, is that whatever our life is going to be lived, however many years we've got ahead of us, and everyone's got forever, um, right? The reality is this. The reality is this, is that what we want to do is we want to steward what we have every moment, every day, every minute, every way with an understanding that God's in the midst of it all, that he's the main thing. And here we are, God, we're going to be accountable for what we do. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 and 30 tells of a master who was leaving his house to travel and before leaving entrusted his property to his servants. And according to the abilities of each man, one servant was given five, the second was given two, and the third was received only one. 
We know the story that the master went away to do what he did. And then he came back and he said to his servants, what have you done with what I've given to you? And the one with five said, well, Lord, I've done this and I've got five more. He said, well done. The one with two went and did something more with the two and came back with two more. But the one with only one hid it and buried it and did nothing with it. And he said he found the master to be, you know, not so good. And uh, he was banished. So the reality is this, like the servants in the parable of the talents, we will be called to give an account of how we have administered everything we have been given, including our time, our talents, abilities, the information, the wisdom, the relationships, and the authority. The principle of accountability is forgotten, I think, by a lot of people. And we don't live with that awareness or that awe of God in our life. We've just been doing the series of the awe of God. We, we get to meet him one day. We believe in him. We love him. We get to know him. But one day when we are at that moment, we're going to meet him and we're going to give an account for all that we have done. And that's probably sobering. We don't hear a lot about that. And we think, oh, it's all just going to be wonderful. It's all under grace. It's, we're in the new covenant, brother. We're all this and that. But no, the new covenant speaks a lot about seed and it talks about stewardship and it talks about don't be fools because God's not mocked what you sow you're going to reap and and our rewards are going to be all distributed I'm not quite sure I want to be the head of the fire department in heaven all right <laughs> I'll share that job with anybody but so long as we've got lights and sirens all right um, I'm not quite sure it's going to be good I know it's going to be good but here's the thought is this our words, our actions, our time, our talents, our treasure, our life, what we've done with what God has entrusted to us. You know, when I see miracles and hear testimonies and I go, God, my heart, I've got to ache for more of that. I want to ache more of that. But here's the proof, right? Here's this statement again. Our belief determines where we spend our eternity, but our behaviors will determine how we spend eternity. I can say that because that excites my emotion. I can say that because I think that gives me goosebumps. I can't wait to see revival and glory just break out. But the price to be paid for the one who administers that glory is a life that is fully devoted to God. Like Boston Road Revival sounds cool, right? But how many know that to get that, there's a price to be paid? All right? So whilst we say things and we can get excited as Christians, right, the posture, the inner workings of that, okay, we're believing for new lands, new territories, new boundaries, breakthroughs, right? What are you doing to posture yourself to get the word of God sharp on your lips and in your heart? The promise is every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given you. Nothing, no thing, shall be able to stand against you. Now, how many know this, that we don't fight for that victory we fight from that victory. And there's a great difference going into a fight when you know you've already won the battle. Then you're fighting for the battle. Amen? And so the posture that we live out here on this earth 
is this understanding that God, with everything that you've given to me, Lord, we're going to give it the best shot and to be able to be able to live that life for that. The fourth principle is this, and if our creative guys can come up, I'm going to flick through really quickly to the end in a minute. Number Hebrews is the, is the principle of reward. Hebrews 11.6 says this, For without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please him. We're so excited. We're nearing the final stages of our design, getting everything lined up with consultants, doing all of these things. We're going to talk to builders. And I'm going, oh my goodness, this is so good. I want this yesterday. And I'm going, oh, I don't know how much this is going to cost. We're going to work this out. And the reality is this, is that God is our all-sufficiency. Here's the thought, here's the thought, and the same thought for you. Without faith, it's impossible. Everyone say impossible to please him. Faith is the substance of the things we hope for, the evidence of things that are not seen. Faith comes to us by hearing the word of God and us acting on that word. If we can do it, we don't need God. But if I can't do it, I need God. I can't do it, but God can. Amen? We can't do it, but God can. And the reality is, this is our posture, the way we see it, the way we speak it, the way we think it, and the way we act it, lines up with the understanding that, God, we're just stewards in this thing. We've given this land, and we're now stewarding it. And the principle is, God, this is in your heart before it was in our heart. And so as we align our lives in the will of God, as we align our lives up to the hope in which he's called us, as we begin to posture ourselves in such a way and understand this, that this is all God's. This is all God's. And we don't have to be in control, but we have to be desperately in love with the one who is in control, who has spoken the word for you and I to walk out. And just as Moses said to Joshua and as God said to Joshua, don't deviate. Don't turn to the left, to the right, but make sure you do everything that's written accordingly. Then you're going to have success. Amen? The principle of reward is this. It's impossible without faith to please him. For they who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A rewarder and those that diligently seek him. Not casually, not flippantly, not every now and again, not just when you're in the bad, deep, dark hole and all of a sudden you're crying out to God because all of your world is imploding. No, those who diligently seek Him. A posture of relationship, connection and relationship to be able to live this out. He is a rewarder. Um, our belief determines where we spend eternity, but our behaviors determine how we spend eternity. Matthew 25, 21 says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. For you have been faithful with a few things, and I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's a wonderful thing for us to want to hear those words at the end of our life. Not one of us want to hear anything different, but all of us want to hear, well done. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Well done for what you've done with what was entrusted with you. Our families, our friends, our finances, 
the giftings, the personality, the talents, all of those things that we have taken and we have made great use of in the kingdom of God. Amen. I want to finish with this one story in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through to 15. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Jesus climbed up a hill and sat down with his disciples all around him. It was nearly time of the Jewish Passover celebrations. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip because he'd already known what he was going to do. And Philip looked at Jesus and replied, even if I'd worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with all of this huge crowd? Tell everyone, Jesus said, to sit down. And so they sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather up the leftovers so that nothing can be wasted. So they picked up the pieces and it filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. The point of this story, and we know this story, is this, that if you steward the little that you have and are willing to offer it for the cause of God's kingdom, watch what God will do. They say it on the chosen, if we bring the loaves and the fish, then he will do the miracles. Amen. Can I just say to you, there is never enough for the cause. There's never enough. But the principle that we learn in Scripture is that he is enough. Amen. He is our sufficiency. And so when we think we've got nothing to give God of worth, think again. Look for what you have and bring the little that you have and offer it to him. The Bible says in a different translation that Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then it miraculously multiplied. And there was more than enough for everyone with stuff left over. Isn't that our God? Everyone say again, and there's more than enough. It's more than enough. And this is, I can't help but think that God is wanting us, our eyes to be opened to all that he's put before us so that you and I would have faith to walk in it in such an amazing way. Amen. Amen.